to the glory of God. Amen. We do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. That description that Paul gives of his ministry in 2 Corinthians might well serve as a title for this strange and funny and disturbing story we just heard today in Acts. This story, which comes from early in Paul's missionary journeys, depicts his first contact with a purely Gentile community. And their response is strikingly different from the response of the towns where he'd been preaching immediately before. And in those towns, he'd stirred up division among the people. Some had been convinced, and some had become believers, but others had reviled him and had sided with the Jews, as Luke calls them, who opposed Paul, who turned against him and his message. In each town that Paul goes to up until this point, he's managed to found a church of believers and then is driven out of the town by those who oppose him. And so now he comes to this town, to Lystra. But here, when he performs the healing miracle, the response is not divided, but unanimous and extravagant. He's treated as a god, and the townsfolk rush to offer sacrifices to him, really good sacrifices, because the oxen were among the best animals that could be sacrificed. So one might think, superficially, that given all the persecution that Paul has already encountered, and all that is to come, he might be relieved or glad of this friendly or admiring response. But of course he's not. And to him and to Barnabas, this response is worse than beatings and imprisonment because it mistakes completely who he is and what he's about. So in horror, he and Barnabas, when they figure out what's going on, tear their clothes, which is a symbolic gesture of grief, but is also a response to blasphemy, just as the high priest tore his robes when he heard uh, in Jesus' trial some comment that made it seem like Jesus was comparing himself to God. So they tear their clothes and they run out into the crowd and they say, stop, stop, we can't do this. He wants nothing. Paul wants nothing to do with this adulation. And instead, he insists that this miraculous healing that they just witnessed, as well as all of God's gift to them in creation, of rain and harvest and food and joyful hearts, all are witnesses not to him, but to the God he serves. Not to Paul, a mere mortal, but to the one who created heaven and earth. We do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. And what's strange is only with difficulty do they convince the townspeople not to sacrifice animals to them. But then in the passage immediately following this one, their fortunes, the fortunes of Paul and Barnabas, are suddenly and sharply reversed because the mob that's been following Paul catches up with him and turns the town against Paul and Barnabas, and they drag Paul out of the city, and they stone him, and they leave him for dead. And it's only with the help of his disciples who surround him, it says in this beautiful line that immediately follows this passage, his disciples surrounded him after he'd been left for dead, and with their help he manages to go back into the city, and then the next day he goes on with his journey. What a day to go from... <laughs> being worshipped as a god to almost being killed. 
Well, frankly, some days in ministry are like that. <laughs> and, and why is that? It's because we're dealing with holy things. We're dealing with the sacred. We're dealing with matters of ultimate concern, things that matter more to people than anything else in the world. And as a result, people are going to react violently, exuberantly, passionately, irrationally to the ministry that we bring among them. And furthermore, we humans are always prone to idolatry. We're always looking for some human thing, whether it's a, a possession or a career or a person or an ambition or something, to put in the place of God. So when people, when you, when I, when ministers come, bringing God's power and God's holiness into the midst of the people, it's not uncommon for the people to start to think that we represent this divine power, which we do, but that it's identified too closely with us because of our desire to find an idol to worship. So some days they'll adore you, and some days they'll revile you. And Paul knew this well, and in 2 Corinthians, he says, as servants of God, we've commended ourselves in every way through great endurance and affliction, hardship, calamity, beatings, imprisonment, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. So he knows what it's like to have this sudden flipping of adulation to revilement and hatred. Well, how do we keep going then in the midst of that, in that whiplash back and forth between adoration and abuse? It has to be that we stay very clear, as Paul did all throughout his ministry, that at the end of the day, this is about something so much bigger than we are. It's really, really important to remember. I, I remember meeting a student once who said she got so nervous before she had to get up to preach, and she always had to remember, they're not here to see you. This was a line that really helped her. Now, I took issue because, of course, I want, I wanted her to know that it was through her that God was working, that she needed to be present, and in some way, they were there to see her. But at the end of the day, she was right. They're not here to see you. They're not here to see me. They're here to see something that comes through us. And we, too, are not immune to the temptations of idolatry. So we really do have to keep remembering at the end of the day that this mission that we're on is not about us, even though we're involved in it. Even though we give our lives to it, it's not about us. We are servants of God and not proclaiming ourselves. We do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Christ crucified and ourselves as slaves for Jesus' sake. In times of weakness and tribulation, we can remember that we hold the treasure of the gospel in clay jars so that it's clear that the extraordinary power of this gospel belongs to God and does not come from us. And as Paul says, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. But in times of honor, we can give glory to God and remind everyone that the, the, the bounty we see around us is the gift of God, not something we created, not something where the honor is due to us. So what matters at the end of the day is not what people think of us. And if we start going about our ministry with that as the touchstone, we will get lost. What matters is that we proclaim God's word in season and out of season, as Paul says. What matters is that we bring God's healing power to the people, 
What matters is that we point amidst the abundance and the suffering of people's lives to the God who holds it all and all of us in being and who is working through our power and our weakness to do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. That's what Paul knew. That's why he said it was not he who lived, but Christ who lived in him. That's why he said he knew how to live with much and how to live with little. That's why he said it didn't matter whether he lived or died so long as the word of God was proclaimed. And it was that faith in God that allowed him to do the work that brought more people to the faith than anyone else in Christian history. And also allowed him to know, in weakness and in power, in ill repute and good repute, that nothing, nothing in all creation, neither angels nor rulers nor height nor depth nor life, nor death, nor anything else in all creation could ever separate him, could ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.